Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest. It took a lot of effort to get him to join the show. It's me. That's right. Today's guest is Ed Stevens, and Eva's going to interview me as a little twist in the normal Beyond Capital podcast. Welcome, Ed. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I'm so glad to be here. So let's dive in. I think that we haven't necessarily talked about our own backgrounds, and yours is extensive and impressive. Um, I think most of our listeners may not realize that you've been a serial entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur for 20 years with a focus on e-commerce. But there's some other things that uh, in your background that I find really intriguing. And one of them is that you were a Russian literature major at Stanford. That's right. Talk about a little bit how you, know, how you picked that major um, and where that where that led you in your career? Well, I started learning Russian when I was at the Naval Academy. And my very first attraction to it was that I just thought it looked cool on paper. And so then thought that I might start learning it and just kept going and going and going and basically found the literature to be this intense, really experience, just uh, the way that that the Russian language and the writers dove into topics and were able to express themselves just felt really natural to me. And so I found myself in Russian literature. Did you ever use your skills, especially your language skills? I did. After I graduated, I went to Russia and lived in St. Petersburg for almost a year working in a Russian military factory. Can you talk about what you did there? I can. <laughs> I'm allowed, to, I'm allowed to, to talk about it. The experience was incredible. I worked in a, in a factory that made guidance equipment, gyro compasses and so on for aircraft and missiles. And a fun fact, I was the first American to be on the payroll of a Russian military factory after the Cold War had to get special permission from the Deputy Minister of Defense. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah, I learned Russian and really made some good friends, and I I can remember it like it was yesterday. So one of the things that really intrigues me and what I I find um, fascinating about somebody like you who has started multiple companies is the concept of entrepreneurship and whether or not you feel that entrepreneurship comes naturally to you. For me? Yes. Oh, yeah. Like, not only does it come naturally to me, but when I was growing up, I had four uncles on my dad's side and two on my mom's side, and they were my role models. And every single one of those men and my grandfathers were all entrepreneurs. So none of them 
ever had a job during any of the time I knew them. And so hanging out at Thanksgiving or any holiday, various combinations of the fam would get together, and I would hang out essentially at the foot of those guys. They would be talking about their latest business, failing, succeeding, new ideas. And I think the most important thing that I learned from that that made me an entrepreneur was that no matter what happened with the business, the family kept going. And so I learned that a business failure was not connected to a personal failure. And, uh, and I think fear of failure is the number one thing that stops people from really giving you know, their own business a try. Yeah, I was looking at your coffee mug and it's the coffee mug of your your company that you started in 2000 and one of the values that is listed on the back is family first. That Which, really stood out to me. Yeah, it was funny cuz um when we did that it was you know how your people don't always give you the credit. They always joked that family first was the last of the, of the six core values. But I, I would just say that sometimes in English we put things at the end of a sentence to emphasize them. But in any case, we, we had a very generous healthcare program at that company, and we always focused on having people be available for their families. And it was just something that I was fortunate to grow up in a great family. I have wonderful parents and wanted to keep that good mojo going. What were some of the, I want to start with some of the other values of Shopatron and then get into what the company actually did. What, what are some of the other values that, the core values? I think keep it simple was the first one that really jumps out at me because in the software business or in any business, we can start to overcomplicate things really quickly. And even if there's a good application for another feature or another product, often the maintenance sort of burden becomes exponential. And so wanting to keep your software as simple as possible was really critical. And um, that was just a value that I wanted to instill on my team. We were in a quite small city in San Luis Obispo, California, which did not have a tech scene at the time. It's the home of Cal Poly University. Um, it, It didn't really have any big companies in it that you would think of. The government was the biggest and the university was the biggest. And then it had a tourism business and and some ag and some wine growing. But we had to bring the outside world in for some of the people there and really help them understand, like, what's it going to take to be competitive on the world stage? So that's where things like World Class came in as well, just um, really focusing on not our comfortable little space in San Luis Obispo. And by the way, very comfortable and nice place to live. But you can get kind of insulated in there and just not really empathize with the problems of someone in another part of the world. So what did Shopatron do? Tell us the story of why you founded it, how you started it, and what it does. Well, my dad ran and still does run a furniture store. So I grew up working there. And I was sort of a brick-and-mortar retail background because of that. 
And as the internet was growing in the 90s, I would check in with my dad and I would say, hey, how are things going? How's the internet? And he'd be like, I don't know. We, we don't really think about the internet too much here because people are coming into our store to buy sofas. And so in the mid to late 90s, I started thinking about how there would inevitably be a lot of inventory shipped to people's homes, but also that there were all these stores everywhere. And if you kind of added up the amount of inventory in a city, you know, all the stores inventory, it's a lot. And so I just started thinking about use cases for how to utilize that inventory for e-commerce orders. And um, we did that for manufacturers who wanted to use local retailers to service their orders because the manufacturer didn't want to be in their direct selling business. And then later we also became one of the leading technologies for larger retailers to bring buy online, pick up in store, or if you bought online and wanted to return your item to the store or any of those kinds of combinations of store and shipping kind of shopping experience, we, we built the back-end tools to manage all that. Super, super sexy business, man. I mean, back-end order processing, woo. <laughs> But very much so needed. Very much needed, yeah. Um, big pain points, and and our software was was reliable and and easy to to implement. And we were fortunate to to get through the Great Recession in two thousand eight, and have some great partners and um, great teammates, and we were able to to get it out the door. And when you started Shopatron, or at least you know through your journey, being there fifteen years. Was there any point at which you could think about social or environmental performance of your of your business? You know, I was a real, I'd say, dummy about all that. Um, it's not that I, I didn't care about it. Um, I, I always had fuel-efficient cars. I always reused things a lot, and I was never enamored with new things because of that. I like to use things for a good long time clothes or anything else. And so I think I had some of those basic frugal tendencies from my my mom and, and her upbringing. But in general, no, I didn't really have much enlightenment on it. It wasn't until 2010 that I really started to understand business purpose and how you could start using it as something, as a force for good. And I think it was probably around 2012 or 13 where I went to Esalen in Big Sur and attended a weekend seminar called Conscious Capitalism. And that was Raj Sasoda, the guy who wrote the book with John Mackey from Whole Foods on Conscious Capitalism, and some other uh, characters in that world who gave speeches. And we did, a, weirdly, a lot of meditation, and then, which was a little bit weird to me at the time. I hadn't meditated much before then that turned into a beginning of this kind of journey that's led me right here to being interviewed <laughs> on the world's greatest social impact podcast. I would agree. I, you know, you'd never think about CEOs sitting around and meditating. Um, but I think the conscious capitalism movement has proven that a leader can look different than we have been taught to think that they look. 
Well, a couple of my friends who went with me actually left the seminar because they were just like way not into it. But I was really into it. And I think the number one thing that I took away from that seminar, which came directly out of this one meditation session where we were pretending that we were reeds in a river flowing back and forth, and that was sort of the, the, the meditation we were doing. I learned how to, how to understand which issues could be resolved by the mind and which had to be resolved by the heart. Mm. Um, there are a lot of issues that have to be resolved by your heart in business. Yes. And so um, that's where I learned that. Yeah, and if you go to Esalen, you kind of have to at least know that there will be one meditation. But um, I think that that's a really great way for us to understand a little bit more about you. And it dovetails really well with your new company, Appreciate. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about Appreciate. Yeah, so I, um, after I had... um, sort of been through the acquisition process with Shopatron. I moved to Dallas, uh, where we are today. And I moved to Dallas and and started just thinking about what my next gig might be. And I I wanted a business that would have a, a very large multi-billion dollar opportunity because my last one was big, but not that big. And so I thought it'd be interesting to, to just sort of focus on a larger addressable market than my last business. And then also one that was uh, completely purpose-driven so that I just didn't have to think anymore about what I was doing with my time and whether it was a good use of time. So that's when I started to... um, Having moved to Dallas, I realized the dynamics around building relationships, workplace relationships, sort of how people form them, and just kind of get more... I got more in tune to that scenario. And then started a business that focuses on helping people strengthen their, their culture at, in the workplace and with a particular focus on the emotional culture, that part which is how people feel at work, whether they're happy at work. And that stems a lot from the relationships that they have with each other. Yeah, you talk often about relational wealth yeah. um, and the importance of having strong relationships in the workplace. Yeah, that's a word that we use because it's something that we can kind of claim as our own. Social capital is the old-fashioned word for it, which is just like, what's the value of all the relationships that you have in your life? As we grow older, we have generally, people can grow more social capital when you're younger. The common scenario is like you just started your first job and you don't know anyone in the company. And that means you need to start networking. You need to start getting to know people so that you can have mentors and peers that support you and you can get access to opportunities and ideas. And that's the classic idea of networking and sort of building your own network, which is still a really important thing to do. But the happiness of a human being really comes from the quality and depth of the relationships. You can have 1,500 connections on LinkedIn you know, pretty easily, but... You want to have 5, 10, 15 people in your life who you're really close with. And that's going to make you a lot happier than 1,500 LinkedIn connections. And the same thing applies at work, where if you have a handful of deeper connections, you are going to have a better work experience than if you just know 100 people at work kind of superficially. Yeah. I, the 
culture that I quote unquote grew up in professionally on Wall Street was lacking in relational wealth. And it was don't show emotion, don't get close to your colleagues, you know, everybody's in it for themselves. This is a zero sum game and go cry in the bathroom if you have to cry. Yeah. Well, I don't think that appreciate will will be the the end of highly transactional company cultures. I think those will still exist, in particular for businesses that are highly transactional. Uh, I think that that can work. But there's been a lot of work done on culture, company culture. And what's interesting is there's actually two parts of culture. One part is what's called cognitive culture. And that's the culture of a company that helps people understand how they should act what they need to do to make decisions on a daily basis that are consistent with the company's priorities. And cognitive culture would be core values like, um, in our case, keep it simple or be helpful. Those are a couple of ours that are cognitive culture values. We're trying to help our people understand. At Shopatron, we expect you to make sure our product stays simple. So that's like a core value, but it's a cognitive core value. It has nothing to do with relationships. It has to do with how the company's supposed to operate. And then you have, on the other side, the far less developed, and the reason why I started appreciate side, is the emotional culture of a company, which is, again, how you feel or what are your relationships with people. And so family first would be a good example of that. It's the emotional culture. How are you supposed to feel when you're at work? We're supposed to be close. We're supposed to take care of each other. The emotional culture is rising in, in importance for businesses, primarily because millennials and Gen Zers are the first generation to have received emotional education in school. And so they are smarter about emotional culture than old generations who totally understand cognitive culture but they're a little bit mystified by the emotional expectations of this younger generation. And some people think that millennials want recognition because they have these big egos that need to be stroked all the time. And actually, the truth is that millennials want to be in a company with a culture of recognition because they know it's a healthy sign of relationship building and it's a sign of a place where they can build social capital. So, yeah. it's, so when we talk about that with our clients, they get really excited because it demystifies this emotional piece and it, and it puts it in the same framework as cognitive culture and allows them to deal with it and put programs in place to, to, to improve their emotional culture. And that's how our product is designed to sort of deal with those two sides of culture. I love the idea of, as you say, social capital, but relational wealth, wealth being something more than money more than what's in your bank account. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of wealth. We all know that yeah. feeling of wealth when we're around our friends or yeah, you know, intellectual wealth or mm-hmm. other kinds of wealth that exist besides financial wealth. So Appreciate is a free service for anyone to download. How did you make the decision to offer your service for free? And I assume there's some sort of premium business model there, but what, is, is it, what was the decision-making behind that? Mainly because we felt that people should be able to build their relational wealth regardless of their financial circumstances. And so we wanted to just make it free for anybody to use. 
faster, more accessible. And then for businesses who deploy our solution inside their company, we have a model where they can pay for some reports and from administrative tools and some launch support and some other things and some branding. And that's working pretty well. And I know that you underwent very recently the process of becoming a B corporation or the B, B certified company. Um, what was that like for you and why did you decide to become a B certified company? We actually had some significant internal debate about that, whether or not it would really do anything for a business of our size, whether anybody would really care. I decided to do it because my heart told me to do it. Really, there was no rational justification for it. It's easier when you're a small company to go through all of the different points of certification, but just because there aren't as many documents to process as in a larger company, but at the same time, we had to create some things and some infrastructure that felt a little bit heavyweight for a small company, but in any case, we did it, and um, it, it opened our eyes to a lot of things we weren't doing, particularly on the environmental front and on the community front, which are two of the five sort of uh, vectors that you get analyzed in that, in that uh, B certification. And it, it um, ended up with us, you know, when we moved our office recently, we moved from a, from a big corporate-owned co-working space to a locally-owned one, and and that's been you know fantastic outcome, even though I yeah. I wouldn't have thought about it. It's really been it has made us feel more connected to the community. I think sometimes the impact we can have is right under our nose, and it might not be the first you know idea or the thing that we're taught, but it's actually quite easy. I mean, one of those examples in investing is where you put your cash. You put it in a big bank that lends out to, you know, who know God knows who or or what, or do you put in a community bank? Very similar to how you approach the real estate challenge and the move. Yeah, and the and the banking is one of another one of the mm-hmm. aspects of the B certification where you bank. And we tr- we tried. We d- we did not bank with a community bank when we went through the process. And we did not change banks, but we looked at it and said, gosh, when we do change banks, we probably will do that because you can see that impact much more locally. Yes, and it's it's all a process. I know that you are on a few other company boards. Do you feel that you've had the ability to bring kind of your more heart-oriented self to those boards? A hundred percent, yeah. It And it's actually gotten better the more that I've gotten comfortable with it myself. You know, sometimes when you when you sit on a board, especially in one case, I sit on a public company board and that was my first, is my first public company board. And so you don't want to just start spouting off and like meeting one. These are very experienced fellow board members and executives and, and you want to just learn. But gradually, as you fit in and understand, then you can start to, to make some suggestions and um, we've been able to make a big difference in some of these areas um, with, with just a little bit of encouragement. Just talking to you a little bit more, I mean, things outside of your corporate life, um, why don't you tell us about your family? Well, I'm married to Robin, 
Uh, she is my, my college sweetheart. We uh, met on a blind date in May of our junior year. And um, after a few days, we, we really never looked back. We dated through the rest of college and then went to Russia together. She taught English as a second language. And then she um, came, came back with me and, and we got married in 1993, just a year after we had graduated. Shortly after that, a couple years after that, we had our daughter Lydia in 1996 and our son Colin in 1998. So they're 23 and 21 now. And uh, Lydia works at Appreciate. She's our HubSpot genius, our digital marketing guru, and runs all of our marketing automation and all that good stuff. Incredibly rewarding to work with her. She teaches me something new just about every day. And, and she was really another big driver of the, of the B Corp certification process. She was like, no, we need to do this. And she really helped me get it done. So we worked together on that, even though it was a trying process. And that was probably the most challenging project we worked on together, just because it was like never a core revenue driving or you know any kind of thing. Um, and then Colin, my son, he's an environmental studies um, major in, in uh, Colorado University Boulder. He's a junior. Incredible. There's a picture in our podcast studio of you and Robin from your college years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> very, very sweet. Looking back at your career, your leadership style, and, and your passion for social impact, which, as you've mentioned, has evolved over time, have you seen any trends within yourself uh, when it comes to thinking about social impact and how it can influence a business? Um, with myself, I would just say the biggest changes I've noticed is... Um, more conscious of where I spend my time and whether I think it's a good use of, of time for, for somebody other than myself. I've, I've never really liked hobbies that just kind of wasted or twittered away time. Um, I prefer something that has some kind of longer-term value, but I've gotten even more so that way, um, in particular recently. And then just for business in general, we've interviewed now at ten, maybe 10 people or something more. like that, yeah. more. And there seems to be no, no end. I mean, we're going to continue to interview tons of people, and they're doing incredibly um, inspirational things. I feel like this, this new generation, the same as with the emotional culture of a company, you know, they're smarter. They're more multidimensional. They can understand more because they, you know, the younger generations always are smarter than the ones that came before them. So they're just going to continue to include environmental, social, and other factors in their purchasing decisions. And we're just, we're seeing that in, in, in huge ways now, but I think it's still just the beginning of it. In particular, as the planet, sort of climate change, climate crisis, whatever you want to call it, you know, continues to impact populations in low-lying areas, in particular, you know, low elevation areas around the oceans, you know, it's just going to continue to grow in awareness. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I kick myself for taking as long as I did to figure it out, but, you know, you just got what's in front of you. So I think, I think anybody who's thinking about this needs to start the journey, even if it's just one tiny little step, just to um, a little bit more 
in, in that impact area. And, and I think it will help almost any business except the most evil yeah, or the most transactional, maybe to put it another way. Absolutely. I mean, when the business roundtable announced that they collectively, you know, that large group of companies felt that the stakeholder was now more than just your shareholder. So all stakeholders should be considered in the purpose of the company and, and driving forward, you know, success of a business. It shouldn't just be sh- shareholders. That was the moment for me when I thought, okay, this this wave is coming and there is big change that can be made. Yeah, and the business roundtable, I applaud them for that. I actually don't think that that group of companies will really be the group that makes mm-hmm. the change happen. I think that they will do the best they can yes. knowing about these forces. But the the capital structure of their businesses, you know, the the directors on the on those company boards unfortunately do not have the leeway to include the company's purpose in any decisions that the board makes. Mm. They they are legally required to act strictly in the fiduciary or financial interests of the shareholders. Mm -hmm. And so when push comes to shove, any board member who serves on a company like that um, has to be very careful and very thoughtful about how they affect that change. Now, of course, you can say, well, shareholder value is going to require us to make these changes. Yeah. But... um, it's not as easy as it is for a company that's organized as a B Corp. Yes, 100%. So and I think, I, yeah. I'm hoping enlightened self-interest for those board members kicks in at one point. It should. It should. But I do think a newer crop of companies will that are, that are sort of structured for that from the very legal foundations and up, I think that those companies will be able to move faster than the ones who are dealing with a legacy kind of legal structure. Yeah, that's a great point. We met on the Personal Investing Network YPO board. And the more I've learned about you and your background, the more I'm excited to see the mark that Ed Stevens leaves on the world. But what do you think that's going to be? <laughs> the, the mark that I'm going to leave on... Well, first and foremost, I prioritized making sure, and and the jury's still out, but... I just wanted to like raise two reasonably well-adjusted children. Mm -hmm. So that was goal one is just to make sure that the direct people around me, their lives were better, you know, because I wasn't just like a jerk. So, um, so I, that's my number one is the immediate people around me. You know, I don't have a long-term plan for that. I'm not really a planner. Um, My entire life has been guided by a pretty simple principle, which is just, to do things that are interesting. And this podcast is a good example of that. I thought it'd be interesting to do this podcast. And it is interesting. It's just super interesting. So I just do things like going to Russia, learning Russian. It was really just interesting was the reason I learned it. Um, And why did I go to Russia? Because it was interesting. And starting appreciates interesting. I think, um, you know, getting involved, more involved either at the board level or, um, or at a operating partner level with some of these impact investing funds would be pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, an experienced operator. That's the reason I didn't retire was because I said, you know, if I'm, if I'm like a good operator, I have these skills I developed over 20 years and now I just retire 
and that's just going to go to waste. So to kind of pivot that towards these impact investments and impact companies, I think that's a good, and that I think that's going to multiply over all the ones that I that I touch. Mm-hmm. So I think I think that that's where the impact will mostly um, be. But I don't need to have my name on anything for for it to to make me happy. That's really exciting. Thank you. It's I'm sure for all of our listeners, it's been great to get to know you better. Is there anything else that you wanted to tell us? Uh, no, I want to know when I get to interview you. Next session, we'll get Next it Next session, we're going to do that? Okay. Then we get to find out all about how Beyond Capital came to be. Absolutely. All right. That's a deal. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh wrong one. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Always fun times wait, here. Wait, wait. That one. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Take my bow. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.